the reasons that will become apparent, this message this morning is called Says Who. Now, I suspect all of us can remember what it was like to be at school and to quickly work out the pecking order of where you fitted in, in the school environment. Uh, and especially, I guess, particularly for the guys, I remember this well. It tended to happen particularly in the playtime. It worked out who was, it basically revolved around who was the best football player and that person became kind of the leader of the pack and everybody else kind of uh, got filtered down according to how good they were at football, where you, where you fitted in, in, in the pecking order. But the, the question of who's in charge is a, is a basic human question. We, we human beings, we're, we're social animals, and social animals are quick to work out the pecking order. Social animals always work out who the boss is. And whether it's chickens or dogs or chimpanzees or people, uh, you quickly work out who's in charge and where you fit into the pecking order. And that's kind of difficult. It can be, it can be difficult if you're a, a six-year-old in the school playground and you're not the one who gets picked, if you're not part of the, the cool kids bunch. But it, it's also difficult for us because it seems so counter to how we tend to, or we want to think in our contemporary age. So we, we live in a democracy and we tend to particularly value equality. And so the idea that there's some kind of hierarchy, that somebody has to be in charge, kind of can uh, stick in our throats a little bit because it seems to uh, go against the rub of what we think about being democratic and, and what we think about equality. But the, the reality is you always end up with somebody in charge. Whatever the environment, in the office environments, in the social environments, in the, um, the Bear Grylls takes a bunch of people away and sticks them on a, on a desert island. It always ends up, somebody ends up being in charge. It's just the nature of human beings. And, and it's a, the question of who's going to be in charge actually is something that often leads to fighting, leads to the office politics, leads to the squabbles in the play playground. And of course, it can also lead to, to war between nations. Who's the boss? Who's going to be in charge? Who's got authority here? And it's just a natural human tendency to kind of want to claim authority. I'm, I'm in charge here. And, and if we're told to do something by somebody else, our kind of gut human response is, well, says who? Who are you to tell me what to do? Says who? And, and, and so we kind of work in our place in, in the pecking order. Um, and, and we tend to be willing to actually kind of fit into that to the extent that we respect that person's authority, or recognize their authority, or maybe fear their authority. That, those things can control how we respond. And all of this actually makes, makes power, makes authority feel quite corrupt. Because it seems to be about who's the more, most forceful personality, or who's the coolest, or who's the strongest. It, it, it makes authority feel quite a corrupt, controlling, manipulative thing. And so often it is. And, and the reason I understand and believe that's the case is because I think human sin means that everything that we humans get do ends up getting messy. Uh, there's a, a, a Christian doctrine called total depravity, which basically says that every, anything that humans do ends up being messed up because of our, our sinfulness. And that, that's true when it comes to this question of authority as, as well. But actually, authority, or to use another word, leadership, is a, is a gift from God that Authority, proper authority, is actually meant to help establish shalom, this Hebrew word which describes peace, being at peace with God and at peace with one another and at peace with the world around us. And, and right authority is actually help, meant to help bring us into that kind of peace, into that kind of shalom, into that kind of tr 
tranquility. And, and the real problem then, the human problem is this. The human problem is this, that it's our corrupt use of authority that we, because of our sin, we tend to use it wrongly. It becomes manipulative, it becomes controlling, it becomes oppressive. And secondly, our rebellion against right authority. That we says, says who when we should be saying, yes, I'll follow this. These are a, this is the double edge of our problem with authority. Now this, this uh, teaching series is called Who is Jesus? And today's story is really about who's in charge here. And the, in the story we're going to look at, there are, there are three kind of characters. There's Jesus, and then there's what we might call the establishment. This is the a group of um, religious and political leaders in Jerusalem. And then there's the people. And these three kind of characters feature in this story. And it says that the, the people hang on Jesus' words. The people recognize the authority and the power of Jesus. The establishment, on the other hand, don't. And they say, says who to Jesus? Who do you think you are? Because they would like to actually expose him as powerless. They don't, they don't like him. And then there's Jesus who, as the story goes on, turns the tables on the establishment and kind of says to them, well, says to yourself, as he demonstrates that he really is the one with authority. The story is in the Gospel of Luke, written by Dr. Luke, Luke chapter 19. And uh, I'll read from it if you find one of these Bibles near you. But it's on page 619 where you can just follow along as I read it out. Luke 19, verse 47 down to verse 8. Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people, that's the establishment, were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The uh, key issue that's going on here is this question, who's, who's got authority, who's in charge? And it's a serious question, it's a serious enough question for the establishment to actually want to kill Jesus. And there's, a, there's an obvious power play which is going on here, that Jesus is threatening to the establishment. He's challenging their authority. He's challenging their power. And the establishment want to fix this problem, and the easiest way to fix the problem is to get Jesus killed. And But the, the, the power that the establishment have is actually defined by the people. And the people won't permit them to kill Jesus because the people are hanging on Jesus' every word. Now, this is a particular incident in history about 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, but it's it's kind of a pattern, actually, you can see repeating throughout history, that uh, in the end, human authority only has authority as far as the people allow them to. Even in the most corrupt dictatorship, really, it's only as much as the people allow that dictator to have power, they're able to have power. And uh, 
a corrupt dictator can hold on to power by having all the kind of levers of power, by controlling the army and having an informer's network and all those kind of things and uh, imposing fear upon people. But if the moment comes where enough people take to the streets and when the bullets start flying, enough people stand and don't run, even the most powerful dictator has to fall. And uh, many of us have seen that in our lifetimes, particularly with the fall of communism in Eastern Europe. Now, the location of this fight over authority is significant. It was happening in the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple was meant to be the place where God's people, the people of Israel, the Jews, came to meet with God. It's where they were meant to come to be taught, like we're doing now, and where they were meant to come to encounter God, as we're hoping to do, believing to do this morning. But the establishment have kind of taken this from the people. The establishment have kind of got corrupt power over the temple. And what Jesus is doing is that he's really, he's reclaiming the temple for the people and for the presence of God. And that threatens the authority of the establishment, but the, the people love it. And the reason that the establishment have the authority they have is because of their, who they were born to and because of their education, all the things that kind of make up the status of, of the establishment in any society. And, and the people don't share in that. They're not born to the right people and they don't have the right education. They don't have the right amount of money and all that stuff. And neither does Jesus. He doesn't come out of the establishment. He doesn't fit the establishment. He's a different kind of character altogether. And so when the establishment come to Jesus and say, whose authority are you speaking at? That, that's not an innocent question. It's a, it's a question which is a serious one. It's really a question, well, who's really representing God here? Who, who's in charge? Who's represent, is it it's us, the establishment, or you, Jesus? Who's really representing God? And if you're going to claim authority, that's a pretty serious thing to do, but if you're going to claim the authority of God, that takes things to a whole other level. Who's really representing God here? It's, it's like the establishment are coming to Jesus and saying, show us your credentials. Who are you? Where have you come from? You, you're not part of the establishment. You've got no education. You, you weren't born to the right family or even the right place. You don't come from Jerusalem. What threads have you got to be standing in the temple and teaching the people? Now, the people know Jesus' threads. They give him credibility because they've seen the power of God displayed through Jesus. They've seen the kingdom of God breaking in. They have seen friends of theirs who are blind, who have had their eyes opened by Jesus. They've seen people who are oppressed, brought into wonderful freedom and liberty by Jesus. They've seen those who are beat up and broken, brought to wholeness and healing by Jesus. They've seen the authority of God work through Jesus. And when you see the authority of God at work in Jesus, through Jesus, then you give him credibility. And so many of us in this room have experienced that. We've come to Jesus and we've seen the authority of Jesus because we've experienced his the authority of God through Jesus to us. We've seen him do things in our lives. We've known his faithfulness and we've seen his power. And when you see that, you give Jesus credibility and you hang on his words as the people were. And so this kind of verbal sword fight develops between Jesus and the establishment. Let's see your creds, they say to Jesus. And then the way that Jesus responds is by asking them a question which is always a good thing to do. If somebody asks you a hostile question, it's usually better to ask another question rather than try and give them an answer. And the question that Jesus asked them was about the baptism of John. Now, John was Jesus' cousin, and he'd been in ministry in Judea uh, 
for a while before Jesus appeared in, in public ministry, and he had been baptizing people, like, like we're going to do this morning. He'd been baptizing people in, in the Jordan River, and he had been himself a threat to the establishment, because he wasn't part of the establishment either. He was this wild prophet living out in the desert, and crowds of people were going to him to hear what he was saying and to be baptized by him. And John said about himself that the reason that he came was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was a prophet. He was pointing towards the Messiah, the Savior, who was going to come, Jesus. That's what he was there for. And so it's a clever question that Jesus asks the establishment because if you accept John, well, that means almost by kind of default you're going to accept Jesus as well because John was pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus says, John's baptism. Who is it from? Is it from God or from men. And the uh, establishment kind of give a evasive politician's no comment type answer. There's, we don't know what to say, we're just going to kind of say no comment, we don't know. And what this reveals is that they're, they're not interested in the truth. The question they ask of Jesus, where do you get your authority from? It wasn't a question that was interested in finding out the truth about Jesus. It was actually just about them wanting to hold on to their power. And Jesus is exposing the corrupt basis of their authority. Something else that's worth saying, especially as we're baptizing a couple of people in a few minutes, is that baptism is really important. When John came as a prophet pointing towards Jesus, he, he baptized people. And he even baptized Jesus himself. Baptism is a really significant thing that we do. And among other things, it's a sign of whose authority you are coming under. When you get baptized, you're saying, I'm no longer in charge, someone else is. And when we baptize Kira and Nick in a few minutes, we're doing saying, Jesus is in charge. He's, he's the boss. He's Lord of my life. And in some contexts, getting baptized then can be very costly because if you get baptized and say, well, this means that Jesus is in charge now, that's threatening to other people who think they've got authority. And so in some countries of the world, to get baptized in the name of Jesus is very dangerous to do because the authorities don't like it. It could be threatening to your physical life because it's seen as a threat to their power and their authority. It's a costly thing to do. In our, in our context, uh, Kira and Nick aren't going to be threatened with, with death because of their profession of faith in Jesus. But it's still a costly thing to do because they're saying Jesus is Lord. He's in charge. And if you have been baptized, as I was baptized when I was 13 years old, it means that Jesus is Lord. That means he's in charge of my life. And it means a joyful, glad submitting to his authority rather than resisting his authority and saying, says who to him? Now, rather than wait for the establishment to think of an answer to come back with, Jesus then goes on the, on the attack, really, and he tells a parable. Let's carry on reading. He says this. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, 
so that the inheritance might be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. But they feared the people. Jesus tells this parable, uh, he tells it to the people, but it's clearly aimed at the establishment, the fact that the scribes and the teachers of the law, they, they knew it was aimed at them. And what Jesus is doing is exposing their illegitimate authority. And this is a really clever story because actually what Jesus is doing is he's taking a story, a, a picture from the Old Testament. He takes a story from the prophet Isaiah, uh, written 750 years before this all happens. And in Isaiah 5, the prophet Isaiah talks about a vineyard which is lovingly planted and cared for, but which becomes corrupt and, and fruitless. And uh, that, the pictures of Jerusalem as, as a vineyard which is not producing the fruit it's intended to produce. And so when Jesus tells this parable, which is really kind of a rephrasing of Isaiah chapter 5, the, the establishment know exactly what he's doing, they, because they know Isaiah 5. They know the story. And they know that he's actually accusing them of being the corrupt, unfruitful vineyard. But Jesus adds a twist to the story, a twist which isn't in Isaiah's telling of the story. And, and the twist is this, that Jesus talks about these servants that the master sends, and then a son that the master sends to the tenant of the vineyard. And in the culture of the day, if a master sent a servant, well, that servant had all the authority of the master. It was having the servant of the master come was almost the same thing as having the master himself come. And so you better do what the servant says because the servant represents the master fully. But rather than obeying the servants of the master and so the master themselves, they abuse them and beat them up and kick them out of the vineyard. And in the end, the owner of the vineyard says, Jesus sends even his son. And the son has an even closer identification with the owner than the servants do. And really what Jesus is saying here is that this is how God operates, that he wants to give you time to change your ways. He wants to give you time to repent. This vineyard is unfruitful and it's corrupt. Its tenants are corrupt. They're doing things they shouldn't. But rather than just coming and kicking them out and judging them, the master is patient. He sends three of his servants and then he sends his son. He's giving them time to change their ways. He's wanting them to repent. And God also gives us time to repent. God is patient with us. But rather than repent, they beat the servants and then they even murder the son. And when Jesus tells this story, the, the people around who are listening to him teaching, their, their response is, surely not. Surely something like that couldn't happen. Surely that kind of wickedness couldn't exist. Surely the tenants wouldn't be that corrupt. They wouldn't, they would, they wouldn't be that evil to, to beat the servants and to murder the sons. Surely this wouldn't happen. But Jesus then gives a warning to the people as well. He says, 
don't you reject this stone as well? And he's quoting Isaiah again, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, about the cornerstone. And Jesus tells this parable which he's directing at the establishment, but then he warns the people. And I think why he's warning them is because this crowd of people are following him and they're hanging on his every word. But Jesus' concern is actually they're missing the point of who he really is. And you know, it's possible to do this. The, the crowd are following Jesus because they've seen him perform amazing miracles. Some of them have been listening to him teach one day and they got hungry and miraculously he provided loads of food and they had their bellies filled. Some of them had seen their friends who were blind now seeing. Some of them had been set free from kind of oppression they were experiencing. And so they were following Jesus because of the miracles. You know, you can follow Jesus because of the miracles but actually miss who Jesus is himself. And it's even possible that some of the crowd were kind of following him precisely because of the way that he was opposing and resisting the establishment. You know, that's kind of attractive. If you're this crowd of people, they were poor people, they were under, they, they didn't have much in this time of history, in this part of the world. And, and, and in that kind of setting, if there's somebody who stands up and kind of resists the establishment, well, that's pretty attractive. That's kind of a, a rebel politics. And Jesus kind of can kind of represents that, and so people were following him because he was he he was doing miracles and he was opposing the establishment, and that's pretty attractive. But Jesus says, "Look, don't miss who I really am. Don't miss who I really am. Don't if you miss who I really am, it's it's, it's like you're tripping over a stone." What Jesus is saying is actually he's the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the thing which holds everything together. The, the foundation stone in which the structure is built, so it's like the, the keystone in the arch, one of these arches, without which the whole thing collapses. That's who Jesus is. And if, if you don't really see him, and if you don't really submit to him, if you don't follow him for who he is, it's like you're going to trip over this stone and be crushed by it. Don't do that. Now the establishment know that Jesus has been talking about them. They know that he's saying that they are corrupt, that they're unfruitful, that they're the, the vineyard of Isaiah 5, which God is going to come and judge. And they want to kill him, but they can't do anything about it because actually the people have got the power in this, at this moment. And, and in this encounter where the establishment has sought to undermine Jesus and stir him up, actually Jesus ends up on top. And, and, and in the end, it's, it says who? Well, it says Jesus. It says Jesus. That's what really counts. Now, some ways that we can apply this to ourselves. The reason that the establishment rejects Jesus is, is precisely because he threatens their authority. And, you know, Jesus is always threatening to human authority because he always claims primacy. Jesus' claim is that he is king, and he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's the ultimate authority which we're to acknowledge and follow. And that is threatening to human authority. That's why when he was a baby, King Herod tried to kill him. It's why when he was a man, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Because Jesus is threatening to human authority. People sometimes say politics and religion don't mix. Well, Jesus was mixing politics and religion the whole time. That's what he does because he's a king. That means he's a politician in a sense. He's claiming ultimate authority. Now this, actually for us who are Christians, this, this affects how we think about human authorities. That the Bible is clear that we're meant to respect those who are in authority, those who are in government. We 
frustrate them and are concerned for them and seek to be obedient to them, but actually we're not to be overly fazed by them because there's a higher authority. Jesus is our king. He's the Lord. Human authorities, they come and go. Jesus remains forever. There's a higher authority that we recognize. But more than that, it's not just that Jesus threatens the power of princes and presidents and prime ministers. Actually, Jesus, he threatens the power, the authority of you and of me. Because Jesus' claim is always that he is Lord. And so, when we seek to be our own boss, when we seek to be Lord of our own lives, when we seek to, I did it my way, Jesus, Jesus would say to us, says who? Says who? Who are you? What authority do you really have? Are you really going to try and do it your way? And if we reject the authority of Jesus, what we're actually condemning ourselves to do is to trip over the cornerstone and be broken by it rather than to have our lives established on it. And so what we should seek to do is to be the people, the people who joyfully accept Jesus, the people who hang on his words, who believe him and follow him. And so for those of us who know Jesus, those of us who call ourselves Christians, our, our, our purpose in life is to point people towards the King, to point people towards Jesus. And if, if you're here and you, you don't yet know Jesus, this is what I'm hoping to, to, to do a little bit this morning. I, I want to point you to Jesus point you to the one who is king, the one who is Lord, the one who is good. The one who can bring us into shalom, who brings us into peace with God and peace with one another and peace with our neighbor. The, the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't reject Jesus. To reject him is to trip and to stumble. To try and be your own boss. To try and be your own Lord. To try and do it all your own way. It's just in the end it's it's the same kind of folly that the establishment of Jerusalem showed 2,000 years ago. Who is Jesus? The title of our series, Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one with authority. Let's come and acknowledge him and worship him and enjoy him. Submit to him and find our peace, our life, our hope in doing that. Amen. What I'd like us to do is to pray together. There's uh, some words going to come up on the screen. Let's stand together. If you feel able to join with me, then I'd like you to read this with me as a way of us recognizing what we believe about Jesus. Let's stand together and uh, pray this together. Say it as a declaration of faith in him. And then the band will come up and lead us in another song before the baptisms. I believe in Jesus Christ. God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus, I confess, that often I try to be Lord of my life. Today I surrender to you again. Help me hang on your words. Enable me to trust you in all circumstances. You are Lord over all. 
you are my God and King. Amen. Yeah, Lord, thank you that you are, Jesus, you are God and King, and that's good news for us. And so, Jesus, we gladly surrender to you again. We say we want to accept and receive your authority in our lives because we know that's actually what is, is good for us and brings us into freedom and into life. And we want to know freedom and we want to know life. And uh, so, Lord, we, we, we run into your arms again. Lord, we don't want to reject you like the uh, establishment did in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Uh, Lord, we want to receive you and build our lives upon you rather than tripping over you. Lord Jesus, would you work in our hearts even now, I pray again. I pray, Lord, for any here who don't yet know you, that even this morning there might be a, a turning to you, a, a revelation of who you really are, that you are good and to know you is good. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's the